0: Today on the Mountain Climber Podcast, former chairman of Greenpeace New Zealand, leader of a multi-million dollar NGO, and founder of Discover NZ Tourism, an app that has connected nearly 10,000 of us to the history and culture of New Zealand. Gordon Duncan has lived a life of risk, positivity, and service. It's one thing to plan a future of greatness, but how do you actually achieve it? Are you ready? I'm Duncan Tormey, and the Mountain Climber Podcast starts right now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mountain Climbers Podcast. My name is Duncan Tolmey, and I'm sitting here with our guest today. Um, he has a very special place in my heart. We've gone back a long way, haven't we? We have indeed. Yes, ever since I came out of my mother, uh, <laughs> he's been standing there because he is, in fact, my grandpa. Um, so I've got. But it's, it's not just that reason that you're here today, is it? You've had a fantastic life, so much success, pinnacle after pinnacle, mountain after mountain, so I'd really love to dive, dive into that. Um, Um,
1: It sounds like you've had somebody very good giving you a bit of PR about (laughs) about me there, Duncan.
0: So just for this interview, just for those listening at home, I'll um, I'll, uh, refer to you as Gordon um, just for the ease of those listening at home. So um, first of all, I'd like to just read you a quote that I think sums you up very well, um, Gordon. And it's from Helen Keller, and it goes, Keep your face to the sun and you'll never see the shadow. And I just feel like you've always got your face to the sun, always got something positive to say, a joke, humour. Um, I was just wondering, where does that stem from? You know, And how, how do you always manage to be so positive? I think it's my
1: parents who <laughs> handed that down as a gift to me. Uh, they were both very positive thinking people, um, had faith in God, faith in Jesus, and um, that was a very positive outworking in their lives. So when you think about it, when they're in their mid-twenties, um, late-twenties, they went to China, uh, mm. but they took three preschoolers with them into a, an environment where, as you know, there was civil war going on, and uh, people were warning them against going, but they felt very positively about the Chinese. They loved China. They loved Chinese food. Well, I grew up on Chinese food. It was, it was wonderful food. We love the country. We loved the people. <laughs>
0: Gordon Duncan was born on the 3rd of September 1947 in the southernmost city of New Zealand named Invercargill. When Gordon was just eight months old his parents risked the lives of everyone in their family moving to the war-torn land of China as missionaries.
1: There was a story when um, the house was the city was being bombed bombed where we were each one and uh, my older brother Douglas, who was two years older than me, was old enough to go out and feel like he was a man about the house, and he would go out and stand and look <laughs> with my dad to see whether the bombers were coming. And unlike modern bombers, where they scream in at great rates of knots, these were more lumbering-type bombers, and so they could see which part of the city they were going to bomb, and they could see whether it was going to be right near us. And if it was, they'd come inside and shelter un- under a big pillar. If it wasn't, they'd watch the bombers go through the different part of the city, dropping their bombs and moving on.
0: I've got actually a photo here of um, uh, uh, something that's uh, I think quite uh, could be quite impactful of, of your time in China. It's, it's you and, uh, and a girl who I think her name is Si um, uh, Shu, um, right. and she's holding. You look about three three years old there. Do you want to just talk about talk to that a little bit?
1: Yeah, well, I understand Si only died a couple of years ago, so we missed seeing her. Even though we have now reconnected with the people in China and each one, um, mm-hmm. and they knew of her. She lived to she was in her eighties, but when I was a child, um, she, as it was a teenager, and uh, she loved me, and she loved carrying me around so if I was feeling a bit all at all tired she 'd be the one who 'd pick me up and carry me around i 'd say Sishu, carry me, <laughs> <laughs> and she would so um, it was good i, I don 't have any real memories of China because mm. it was too early. I came back when I was nearly four. I, I did speak Mandarin uh, fluently then, as a a four-year-old would, or nearly four-year-old.
0: But not now, unfortunately. (laughs) Not now, unfortunately.
1: So even despite trying on odd occasions to do that, Mm. um, my abilities at languages are not brilliant, and uh, Chinese is no exception.
0: I find it very fascinating how um, in the midst of of that dark time in Chinese history, um, people were still so so nice. People
1: in China were very warm. I mean, Mm. there was a lot of... um, and even the authorities were. I mean, there was great stories about when we came out of China, how my dad had grown tomatoes. Um, he was under house arrest virtually for about a year, and he grew tomatoes and from tomato seeds because he didn't have much else to do. And, and when they came, the, the people from the north had become the governors in the city, the head of the police, the head of the customs and so on. And they came and they said, Honourable Sir, we'd like to buy some tomatoes from you because tomatoes weren't generally available. And my dad would say, "Honorable sir, you're not going to buy these tomatoes. I'm going to give you these tomatoes." And they had this argument about whether they would buy or they'd, uh, sell. <laughs> uh-huh. And eventually, they gave them. Uh, they accepted them. And when we came to leave China, they were the ones who stamped our passports to say we could get out. But they were being, even though they were the officials in the Communist Party and the, mm. the new government, they were actually uh,
0: res- respectful to quite a, quite a degree to us in our situation. And they would have known that your father was a, or your parents were missionaries as well. So that's incredible. Yes, they, it? Um, it wasn't per se ac- ac- actively anti-Christian officially,
1: um, even though there have been varying times over the subsequent years when Christianity has been seen as um, anti-Chinese and uh, persecution has taken place. But it hasn't always been this very up-and-down, checkered history inside of China over the role of Christianity.
0: Mm. Um, how do you think growing up in a war-torn you know, land at the time the area would have been very poverty stricken. Um, how do you think that has? Do you think that's had any impact on your social views of today? I've often wondered about that, and I'm not sure.
1: Um, physically, I was the baby, so I was uh, looked after the most by anybody of all the family. My dad was given only a, a couple of years to live when we came out of China, and he lived for another forty or fifty years. I, I've not worked it out, but it was a long time he lived after that. Um, my older brother and sister had. TB shadows on their lungs from having contracted TB in China Mm. and even though they went on to live long lives as well, Um, so physically I came out the best of anybody Um, I think uh, I don't know, somewhere along the way, inside of me, in terms of a DNA wiring there's a sort of sense of social justice and I think that's where it relates for me in terms of my Christian faith and Jesus and the kingdom of God and his valuing of all people, not just a select few but but really uh, caring for all people at all people he loves and all people he cares for it doesn't matter about wealth and property and po- position and prestige and all that sort of thing god cares about all so i mm-hmm. guess that that for me means social justice becomes a really important thing
0: Along with his home group at Long Bay Baptist Church, Gordon was reading A Purpose-Driven Life by Rick Warren. The home group was struck, compelled to form what is now named the Bayes Community Housing Trust. What was once an ambitious idea, now a $12 million non-profit organization that provides housing for those in social or economic need. Their latest project, a $5.5 million investment which will provide housing to those who need it most.
1: We've got three types of people generally that we support or help um, people who have experienced mental health in their past and we've got many of those who it just requires them to ring up and to say what they're doing to somebody to feel like they're ma- they matter and are noticed and that's alongside of being a good landlord to them. We've got youth in transition um, who are moving from SIFS care or whatever out into independent living and then we've got um, people who are over 65, and these are these are older women who, for circumstances, haven't worked out in their lives, and they've got limited capital, they can't buy a place of their own, and they live together in, this, in these specially designed flats.
0: Are you surprised by how large the Housing Trust has become?
1: Yeah, and I have. It wouldn't have got off the ground. We didn't have any money, so... Um, One of the most significant moments was when um, I'd been a trustee for Community of Refuge Trust. So we approached them and said, we want to buy some houses and do what you're doing in the city, but we want to do it on the North Shore. And we need to buy a house. We need, at that stage, about $15,000, we figured. So I, we approached them and I got a phone call one day from, and I can still remember this very vividly, from the then chairman of Court Community Refuge Trust, Peter Jeffries. And he said, look, Gordon, we considered your request last night at our meeting and we've turned you down. And oh. I said, oh, OK, well, that's a bit disappointing. And my focus on positivity was challenged for a moment there. And was after that, that
0: was your first rejection.
1: It was, but after about two minutes of um, sort of contemplating this, he said, we turned you down because we don't think $15,000 is going to do it. We're going to give you 150000 Oh, wow. So it was, it was a wow moment.
0: You know, I read somewhere the other day that in order for the problem, uh, the Auckland housing crisis not to get any worse, we are going to have to build over 200 more houses a week. And that's just for the problem not to get any worse. So do you feel like the problem is just so massive and so huge that the housing trust is not making enough of a difference?
1: We're scratching the surface. Um, We are too small. We'd like to be bigger. But on the other hand, we don't want to get too big either. I guess the other side of it is it's about people. It's not just about the building. So we want to, uh, and we're focusing on this right now, um, look at what kind of – Care or um, support do people need to become whole and fulfilled and connected into community? So we are actually doing a lot of work around that at the moment. Where we're looking at that transition arrangement. Where how do you help people to become? what they're meant to be.
0: I just think if you can impact one person's life and change one person's life radically, Mm. then um, I I feel like no matter the time and the effort, then it's all worth it. Because
1: the one flows on to many others that that person can influence later in their life as well. Mm. Mm.
0: Still to come, in the second part of my conversation with Gordon Duncan, we play Finish the Sentence to discover what really inspires Gordon. Plus... It was the opposite with Greenpeace. Wow. We talk his time as chairman of Greenpeace New Zealand. Then later...
1: You can go to sleep at night and then often about two or three in the
0: morning you wake up and you think, good grief, what am I doing? The initial stress of his latest business adventure discover nz tourism an app that has connected literally thousands of tourists and kiwis to the stories of our beautiful nation all that and more next time on the mountain climbers podcast did you know that the mountain climbers podcast is on social media stay connected through facebook twitter and youtube just search for the mountain climbers podcast to see the best moments and stay in the loop That's the Mountain Climbers Podcast on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube.